Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. One thing that God has been revealing to me in this fast is that scripture that talks about it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so I feel like there's some weighty things that I need to say today, but I want you to hear them through the love and the kindness of Jesus, because Jesus would never make you feel bad. He would never seek to bring condemnation. So if you hear that, that's not from Jesus. It's his love and his kindness that convicts us and leads us to repentance. So I didn't plan to say that, but I I want you to know that at the outset. So I'm actually going to launch today from a short passage in Mark chapter 8, and then we're going to look at three other passages that are also in Mark. Um, A couple of months ago, I was reading through Mark as part of my kind of reading through the Bible in a year, and the Lord just started to begin to highlight these passages to me, Um, and they're actually three women that we read about in Scripture and just how they lived in consecration to Jesus. And so we're going to look at these three women together. But first, we are going to look to Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with you, then you can turn there. If not, our amazing tech team back there will put it up on the screen for you and you can read along. We're going to start in verse 34. It says, Then he, being Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their own soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The title of my message today is Consecration, A Life Lived all in. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your presence, God. I'm so aware that you're here with us in this room. And God, I thank you, Lord, for the things that you've deposited in my spirit, the things that you've spoken to me over the last few weeks, Lord, that you want me to share with your people today whom you love. And God, I pray just as I said earlier, Lord, that People would not feel any condemnation, Lord, but they would have a revelation that it's your kindness that leads them to repentance. God, I thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. God, thank you that you're faithful. You're faithful to your word. You're faithful to your promises. And God, I thank you, Lord, for what you want to show us today as we open up your word. God, I I pray that every heart would be opened. Lord, every ear would lean in and listen. And Lord, you would speak so personally to every person in this room today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was actually raised in the Church of England as an Anglican. And um, I lived in a town, but then there was also, I kind of lived in a village slash town. And every village kind of has it's local. So there's like a local pub, there's a local church, there's a local post office, the local doctor's office. So you kind of, it's kind of like this little community. I mean, it was still a lot of people, but you get to know kind of everybody 
in the community. And so um, we were friends with a lot of the people that we went to church with. And there was this one particular family that lived across the road from us. And they were a beautiful family. Just they had one daughter who I was very good friends with. And one year they invited us to go along to this Christian camp. So I actually don't remember because I was very little and I've got an older brother and sister. And so my parents agreed to go along. And basically these camps were like, we would experience church. It was like our church service today, but the Anglican church, we didn't experience that kind of freedom in worship. So I was very thankful for the deep theology that came through in the hymns that we sang. But as a child, it was quite boring, if I'm honest. And it felt like it was just this religious activity. So anyway, my parents go along to one of these camps and they end up hearing the gospel. I, I was going to say for the first time, I'm sure they probably heard it through the vicar in the Anglican church. But anyway, they had an encounter with God at this camp and they got saved. So I was probably two or three years old at the time. So then we just started going every year to these Christian camps. Little did I and my siblings know that what we experienced at these camps could actually be our church experience every single week. We just didn't know. All we knew was the traditional Anglican church. So we would like live for these camps every year. We'd be like getting excited. We get to go to camp again. And when I was seven years old, I had an encounter with God and gave my life to Jesus. Same thing happened for my brother and my sister. So yeah, it was just, it was amazing. But it's so funny that we'd not been, nobody introduced us to like a charismatic Pentecostal church. It was like, we just kept going along to this. We were very involved. I was in the choir. My brother was an altar boy. My dad was a church warden. That all changed when my dad was filled with the spirit one year at one of these camps. And then he came back and he started speaking in tongues at the Anglican prayer meeting and was told to stop doing that or leave. And so um, he left, not in the best way, but anyway, that's a whole other story. But I just remember I must have like exited this, the sanctuary, whatever you want to call it, and gone to the bathroom. Because I remember, if you imagine it was a, a room like this, but an old, you know, beautiful stone building. And I was out in the foyer. I'd obviously gone to the bathroom or something, and I could see through the glass doors, and I could just see all these people just sitting there, like just vacant looks on their faces. And I'll never forget, I can picture exactly where I was standing. I was on a cement floor and I looked at the people and I just thought, is, is this it? Like, is this, is this what life is? We just go about our life during the week and then we come to church, we pay our dues, we sing some hymns, we listen to a message and then we just go back home and live however we want for the rest of the week. And I knew some of the things that were going on in the lives of the people that were in that room. And I just thought it, Jesus was so real to me. I was like, that would be so tiresome to just, just go to church week in, week out, and it not transform my life. And I remember in that moment, I just had this sense, I, I want to I give my life for this. I want to go all in for Jesus. And I like, there's nothing else. No, there's nothing else that I want to do with my life, but just live it for him. And so that took me on this journey. And in this passage we just read, Jesus said, if we want to be his disciples, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. 
and that's not always going to be easy. We can see from this story, it tells us that there was a crowd of people that were probably wanting ministry from Jesus. And then there were his disciples that were also there who, who were truly following him. They'd truly gone all in. It seems as though the people in the crowd maybe lacked a level of consecration. They were happy to be around Jesus and benefit from all that he could give to them, but they hadn't gone all in yet. And Jesus wants all of us, not just the parts that we choose to give him. Interestingly, the term all in is actually a poker term. And you'll be surprised to know that I learned how to play poker from my husband. <laughs> For those of you that have not heard some of, the, some of his other stories, that won't make a lot of sense. But anyway, he taught me how to. So in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this Texas Hold'em craze and everybody was playing poker. And so we would have couples over to our house. Like, listen, we went all out. We went to Spotlight and bought a big piece of green felt that we could put on the table, invested in some poker chips. It was so fun. And sometimes, the you know, Jason was doing university ministry. We'd have students come over and we'd feed them and then we'd sit around the table and play some poker. Now, when poker players go all in, which is where this term comes from, that's when you basically take all the chips that you have and you push them to the middle of the table. And then you typically, if you're doing it properly, you stand up and you say, I'm going all in. Basically, you believe that the hands, the, the cards that you hold, nobody else can beat those. And so sometimes I like to be a little bit dramatic. I know that's hard to believe, but so I used to go all in a lot. But it wasn't based on the strength of my hand at all. And Jason would just roll his eyes because he knew, oh, here she goes again. Like, I just love the pushing my chair back, standing up and being like, I'm all in. And I usually, I was bluffing and I ended up losing. And, but you know, I went down in a blaze of glory. So I didn't mind. Going all in is very risky unless you're good at math. And all my kids can attest to the fact that I am terrible at math. They don't, I don't give them any help with their homework. They have to go to their dad. But if you're good at math, you can actually calculate the odds of the cards that have already come out. Anyway, I'm not good at math. So, But the point is, you know beforehand whether you're making the right call to go all in or not. And in the passage we just read, Jesus is basically calculating the odds for the crowd and his disciples. He's saying... I want you to go all in following me. I want you to slide all your chips to the middle of the table. Why? Because if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, if you go all in, then you will save it. And then he goes on to say, besides, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul? What is there that is worth more than your eternal soul? After making that kind of calculation, how could you not go all in? Last weekend, we celebrated mums all over Australia for Mother's Day. And as all the mothers in this room can attest, we have no choice but to go all in. Um, for those of you that don't know us very well, we have six amazing children. And our first three children, I gave birth to with no drugs. Uh, no medical intervention, and it was a very painful but amazing experience. That's why I did it three times. 
But then when I found out I was having twins, my doctor explained to me that um, there would need to be some medical intervention. Like I would need to have an epidural and some other things just because twins are a multiple birth and there can be complications that can arise during labor. And so I was very afraid of giving birth to the twins. I'd not been afraid with the other three, but because I've never had a medical procedure before and because I wasn't in control, um, I was very afraid. So I'll never forget, we go to the hospital. So I, I didn't sleep at all the night before. I knew I was going in the hospital on the 1st of September. And we get to the hospital, check into the birth suite. Um, and the nurse hands me this hospital gown and says, okay, I just need you to go and get changed into that. And then we'll get started. The anesthetist will come and give you the epidural and we'll get things moving. So there was this toilet in the room. And so I grabbed Jason's hand. And I was like, I need you to come with me. So we go in this toilet and shut the door and I burst into tears and I looked at him and I said, we're not going to have the twins today. Like, I'm not ready. I just want you to take me home. And I was like, totally serious. I was like, I'm not doing it. And of course he just laughed at me and was like, babe, come on, put the gown on there waiting for you. Like, I mean, he was, he comforted me, you know, he said some reassuring words. He's like, come on, you can do this. You've done it before. But why did he laugh at me in that moment? It's because the minute I fell pregnant, I was all in, right? Like I, I there was no going back. I think, is there an, is there another picture up there? Yeah. So that's my amazing doctor. His name was Simon who delivered. That's not the most flattering photo of my frizzy hair. You know, some people, they, they post these both birth photos and it's like, they look amazing. They're like glowing. They've got makeup on. No, that was not me. It was hard work, but there are Alex and Ben, our amazing twin boys. Birthing is painful and it's also a little bit scary because like I said, some things can happen that are out of our control, but I can honestly say the euphoria and the joy on the other side of labor is unlike anything I have ever experienced before. It's one of the greatest feelings in the world. Going all in can feel scary and that's okay. Jason and I obviously had to go all in to plant this church. And there's been a few days when I've said to Jason, um, I changed my mind actually. I don't want to lead a church anymore. And uh, Jason and Jesus are like, well, I'm sorry. It's too late for that. No turning back. Going all in is never going to be easy, but we've got a Bible full of examples of so many fathers and mothers in the faith that have gone before us who went all in. So as I mentioned earlier, I was reading through the book of Mark and the Lord really highlighted these three different women to me who went all in in consecration. And so we're going to look at those now for a few minutes. The first person was a very poor woman with no husband. And in first century Israel, that would have been a very risky and vulnerable state to be in. There was no Centrelink and women really didn't have many opportunities to make money. So we're going to start reading here in Mark 12 and verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, 
Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Consecration means going all in in generosity. Jesus is telling his disciples here that she gave everything. She gave all she had to live on. He didn't base her generosity on the amount that was given. You know, he it says in the passage there that there were rich people and they were just throwing in large amounts. But Jesus based the measure of generosity on the amount that was left over. And he makes the point of this woman that she gave everything that she had to live on. That would have been a massive step of faith, right? As a widow, she didn't give from a surplus, but she gave all that she had and she had to trust that God was going to meet her needs. I know there's times in my life when I've given to God, when, you know, even the vision offering just a couple of months ago, Jason and I will plan and we'll pray and we make sure that we've allocated what we need to pay the bills. And, and, and it's important, right, to be a good steward of all that God's given us. But I also think it's so important that we allow God to speak to us also in those moments because he might say, I know that you've calculated all these things and this is how much you feel like you have to give. But are we open to God saying, I actually want you to do more than that? And in doing more than that, you need to trust me that I'm your provider. There will come a time in the not too distant future that we're going to be making some moves to secure our own building which is super exciting. That will mean no set up and pack down. <laughs> but it will also mean that every single one of us is going to have to step up and own the vision and seek the Lord about the part that we have to play. What does an all-in generosity look like in your life? Do you need to start being faithful with the tithe? Do you need to start stepping out in faith and giving? I also want to say that going all in in generosity is not just about our finances. Are we being generous with our time? Are we giving and using the gifts that God's given us to build up the church? Are we being generous with our words? You know, encouragement is so, so powerful. And sometimes we can think something about someone and, and not say it. And I want to encourage you, if you have an encouraging word for someone, even if it's something little, please go and tell them because encouragement is so powerful and you have no idea how that word of encouragement could shift their whole day. When we're all in in generosity, then it's going to have an impact on those around us. And it's also so reflective of the heart of God. Proverbs 11 verse 25 tells us, a generous man will prosper. He who waters will himself be watered. So we have a promise from God that if we will be generous, in our finances, in our encouragement, in our time, in our gifts, then God will make sure that we have all that we need. A consecrated people are a generous people. Our next example is found in Mark 5, and many of you will be familiar with the story. It's the woman with the issue of blood. We're going to read together from verse 25. It says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Man, can you imagine that moment? 12 years of continual bleeding, 12 years. And in a moment, she was healed. That would have been so powerful. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Consecration means going all in, in faith. This would have taken a lot of courage for this woman to even be out of her house because in Jewish culture, she would have been ceremonially unclean, which means she was not allowed to be out in public until the bleeding had stopped. So Jewish law stated that she couldn't touch anything or be around anyone until the bleeding had stopped. So I sat with this for a while and thought, can you imagine how lonely and isolating that would have been for her? For 12 years, not even allowed to leave her house because even if she wanted to, she could encounter people and potentially make them unclean. No wonder she was trembling in fear when Jesus asked her, who touched me? I think she probably thought, okay, I know that if I can get to Jesus, I know that he can heal me, but I don't want to make him unclean. And so I'll just... I'll just reach out and try and grab part of his clothes. Then I don't touch him and I'm not making him unclean, but I can still have my miracle. But Jesus noticed because he felt this power leave him. And that was her faith that activated the power of God. We know this woman went all in in faith because Jesus actually credits her faith for her healing. He could have said, yes. It's, it's the power of God that has healed you, but he didn't. He said, your faith has healed you. But I believe after studying this passage of scripture that the most powerful proof of her faith can be seen in her internal dialogue. It says in this passage that she spoke to herself and she said, if I can just touch his clothes, then I will be healed. She spoke out of her mouth what she was believing for. If we are truly all in, in faith, then it will be very evident in the confession of our mouths and what we're quietly and internally saying to ourselves. What's your internal dialogue like? I know that sometimes I can find myself saying things about myself and about my situation that are certainly not full of faith. Just recently, in fact, some of you know that um, about a month ago, I was very unwell. I caught the flu and I was already struggling. I was having some challenges. And so just it felt like getting physically sick was just the icing on the cake that I didn't want to eat. <laughs> and it was very, very difficult. And I found myself starting to, I knew I was in trouble when I started speaking out 
the things that I was thinking. And I remember saying to Jason, this is very recent. I just don't think I've got what it takes to lead this church. It's too hard. It's just too hard. People's expectations are too high. I can't please everyone. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I make mistakes and the list goes on and on and on. But there was a shift just a couple of weeks ago. And the shift happened for me when I changed my internal dialogue. The act of speaking and speaking faith into our situations is so crucial to our breakthrough. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13, it says this, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Do you know that Jesus loves it? He loves it when we declare truth and speak faith over our lives. He loves it. God most, most often will activate his power in the life of a believer through their faith. But we have to choose to partner with him by the things that we meditate on and the words that we speak. Now, I do believe there are times when God may perform a miracle as an act of his mercy to display his power and love. And I've also known of, you know, I've been in gatherings where there's a special anointing. And because of the presence of God, that can bring a miracle about. But those times are the exception. For the most part, God wants us to take responsibility for our part to believe. The word tells us in 2 Peter 1 that his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. But how does it come? It comes through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Jesus accomplished everything at the cross, but we have to appropriate that victory into our lives. And the way we do that is by confessing the word and partnering with the truth to see it come to pass in our lives. It's kind of like how I act as a wife sometimes. I know what I want from Jason and I know how he can make me feel loved, but I sometimes get upset when he can't read my mind because I don't always want to make the request. I'm like, we've been married for 22 years now. You should just know, right, what I'm thinking and what I want. But he's not a mind reader. But you know, the interesting thing is that God is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. So God does know what we need before we ask, but he still requires us to ask. It tells us in Philippians that we're to make our requests known to God who already knows what those requests are because he can read our mind. But he wants to partner with our confession and with our faith. Jason um, is on Twitter and he's there's this um, particular preacher that he follows and he printed out this quote and put it up in his office. And every time I go in there, I'm so challenged when I see it. And it's just one sentence and it says this, no one ever rises above the confession of their faith, ever. No one ever rises above the confession of their faith. The words that we speak out of our mouth will determine our ceiling. For example, if you need a job and you're walking around saying, I'm never going to find a job. I mean, I'm never going to find anything that I'm passionate about that I'm going to get paid to do. It's just not going to happen. God can't do anything with that because your confession is full of unbelief. 
And our words will reveal what our heart believes. Change has to come from the heart first. When we meditate upon God's word and we change our confession, we can then make it a prayer that's in line with God's word. So instead of all those things that we just confessed, we say, God, you promised that you would give me everything I need for life and godliness. God, you promised to supply all my needs. You own the cattle on a thousand hills and you love to give me the desires of my heart. So I thank you, Lord, that you have the perfect job for me. Amen. And then the Lord's like, all right, come on. I can work with this. Come on, angels, let's go to work. Let's, let's activate their faith. This is more than just positive confessions, wishful thinking, hoping something good will come along. We are partnering with the living and active word of God. And it goes to work in our lives to bring about the will of God. So one way that I've been practicing this over the last couple of weeks to help me with my negative confessions that weren't helping me at all, I pulled out this folder. I know it looks very plain and simple because it is. I actually bought this 25 years ago. I've had this folder for 25 years, but this is my secret weapon. And inside it is lists and lists of Bible confessions on lots of different subjects. So if I'm not feeling loved by God, then I'll just pull out. There's like eight to 10 scriptures that I search the scriptures and found, and then I'll speak them into that situation. I've got heaps of confession sheets on who I am in Christ and my identity because I need them. I confess those at least every other day. I've got confession sheets on God's covenant promises, on his finances. What, whatever you have a need for, the Bible has an answer. And so I want to encourage you, just find even five or six Bible verses, write them out, type them out, and confess them over your life and watch your situation change. I also would encourage you, and I'm sure some of you, if not all of you do this already, but whenever you receive a, whenever you receive a prophetic word, when I get a prophetic word, not only do I listen to it, but I write it out. And then I make I am statements from the prophetic word. And, and, and that's how I can partner with God's word that he's spoken into my life to see it come to pass. So powerful. A consecrated people are those who will partner with God and step out in faith. And finally, I want us to look at a woman who went all in through an extravagant act of worship. Now, I heard the Pope say at one time that he believed that this woman was Mary Magdalene, but most theologians will say that the Mary that we're going to read about was actually Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. We don't know for sure because Mark doesn't tell us, but whoever this Mary is, she goes all in in her worship and devotion. We're going to read from verse 3 of Mark 14. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. 
Let me just say this. Some people are not going to understand your obedience to Jesus, and that's okay. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Consecration means going all in, in worship and devotion. I think it's helpful for us to understand in this context just how much this jar of perfume was actually worth. The NIV translation that we just read says that it was worth more than a year's wages. But if we look at the literal Greek words, which we can find in the ESV, it tells us that that perfume could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. And 300 denarii is the equivalent of 100,000 Australian dollars. Like, just get your head around that for a moment. One jar of perfume of oil that costs $100,000. It's likely that this jar of perfume represented this woman's life savings. It was her store of wealth. It was her retirement plan. But she went all in and she anointed Jesus with the most valuable thing that she had because she wanted to show her love for him. I'm sure the people around that were complaining, saying, why didn't you sell it and give it to the poor? They were probably like, why did you have to use the whole thing? Maybe you could have just anointed him with a little bit. But then if we read the context of this, in order for the oil to be released, the vessel that it was in actually had to be broken. And that's also a word for some of you in here today, that in order for the oil in your life to be released, you have to be broken and it might feel like for some of you that you're in a place of brokenness right now, but you need to know that there is an oil that is going to be released from your life, that is going to bring healing to so many, and it's going to be so worth it. More than anything else, Jesus wants our extravagant acts of love and worship. You know, one of the most beautiful things about this story is what Jesus says to her accusers. And it actually shows us how valuable Jesus found this act of worship. He said that what she did was so meaningful that he would place it in his eternal word. It would become a part of scripture and people would read about this extravagant act for generations and generations. There's also another reason why this act of worship would have been so meaningful to Jesus. This was just two days before his arrest and his crucifixion. Scripture indicates that Jesus was very much alone when he was on the cross. In the last few hours of his life, we know that his mother Mary and a few other women were standing at a distance nearby, but all of his disciples had left him because they were afraid. It was just him and two other criminals either side of him. But, you know, he wasn't completely alone on that cross because the fragrance of Mary's worship was still with him. And I just think it's so beautiful. It's funny. I, I have a, a bottle of olive oil that I keep on the counter next to the stove. And then I've got a bigger bottle in the cupboard and I just refill the smaller bottle. 
and I was refilling it a couple of weeks ago and I didn't notice that there was an air bubble. And so as I kept pouring, it just spilled out and it went all over the countertop. Do you know how hard it is to clean up oil? Like if you've ever spilled it, you will know, but there's just this residue and it seeps into every nook and cranny. When Mary poured that oil over Jesus, it would have gone into his hair, would have seeped into his scalp. It would have gone into his paws. It would have gone into his beard. Every part of him would have soaked in this oil. And as he hung on that cross, he would have smelled that perfume. And he would have remembered this one selfless act of worship and devotion. And he would have been reminded of the joy set before him. And that's all of you and me. It's our all-in devotion and worship to Jesus. Consecration means going all-in in worship and devotion. My mom passed away just over five years ago now. She had cancer. And after about two months in the hospital, she was transferred to hospice care. And the beautiful nurses there in the hospice um, had an iPad available. And so they let me FaceTime with her every day. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I had those moments with my mom. And I remember asking one of the nurses, I said, is there any way to know exactly how long she has left? And they said to me, oh yeah, that's easy. As soon as she stops eating, then she'll only have a couple of days left. And there's such a spiritual parallel in that, I believe, for us today. The greatest measure of how all in we are when it comes to our worship and devotion is our spiritual hunger. When you lose your hunger, it's only a matter of time before you fade away. Hunger is a sign of life. And the greatest fulfillment of our hunger is time spent with Jesus. And that's what this season of consecration is all about. I'd love to ask our worship team if they could come on back up and join me. Like I shared with you earlier, I recently said to Jason, it's just too hard planting a church. Was, was this really my dream or did I imagine it? I, 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 didn't, I didn't think it was going to be like this. And then just a few days ago, I was reading my Bible and I read the words of Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel Gabriel came to her and told her, that she would carry the Messiah. And her response to the angel was, may it be unto me according to your word. Mary chose to be all in in that moment and she had no idea the path that she was about to walk. You see, Jesus wants us to be all in in the process, not when we have the perfect plan and we can see the road ahead and how it's all gonna work out. Trust in Jesus is developed in the process. And then Jesus reminded me, he said, remember that moment over 30 years ago now when you stood in that church fire and you said, I don't just want to do this once a week. I want to give my whole life for this. And Jesus said, that's what you're doing. And he said, it doesn't matter what the as much as you love the people that you're leading, it doesn't matter what any of those people think, what any of those people say, because I see a life laid down 
And Jesus sees every sacrifice that you make for his kingdom. He sees and he will reward you. There is no greater thing that you could give your life to than to go all in for Jesus. He's called us to be living sacrifices. Sacrifice is painful. It means there's going to be some discomfort. There's going to be some pain involved. But right now for me, this is a daily decision. And I believe that's what it has to be for all of us. It's not just, you know, there'll be days when we get excited about praying and, and God reveals himself to us in his word. And we just want to spend more time with him. But there's going to be other days when it's hard and you feel like you're praying and you're crying out to God and you're hearing nothing. But let me encourage you. He sees you. And he, even if there's not an immediate answer, he sees you spending time with him. He sees you setting aside time to consecrate yourself and he will reward you for that. And he will speak to you. I just want to give you an opportunity just to respond to this. Maybe there's one of those areas of consecration that, that stood out for you specifically, whether that's going all in in generosity, whether it's going all in in faith or all in in your worship and devotion. And just as the team leads us as we go back into worship, I just want you to have a moment with Jesus and just be real with him. He, he already knows, but be real with him and tell him, say, Jesus, I need you to help me. I need you to help me in the moments when I can't sense you and I don't feel like you're speaking to me. I need you to help me, my my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And Jesus is so kind. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.